Today is Mother's Day, and we want to acknowledge all the women we're blessed to know. We rejoice over you, for your strength, your wisdom, your strong love, and your beautiful faith. Whether today is a celebration for you or a day of quiet reflection and healing, we're thinking of all of you. If you gave birth this year to your first child, our joy overflows and we celebrate with you. If you adopted a child this year or became a foster parent, we rejoice with you and we want to honor you in your commitment to changing the lives of children. If you continue to struggle with infertility, we are hoping with you and holding your hand in prayer. If you are exhausted and feeling underappreciated for all you do for a house full of kids, we applaud you. We love you and we appreciate you more than you can ever imagine. And if you lost a child this year to death or miscarriage, we weep and mourn with you. And if your child is lost to addiction or to the world, we hurt with you and we join you in putting our hope in the one who brings prodigals home. If you live with painful memories of your mom, we pray that you will find in a spiritual mother all that you never had from a birth mom. And if you're one of those amazing spiritual moms, we thank you for stepping up and being there when others couldn't. If you're experiencing an empty nest for the first time this year, we walk with you in this new season and are excited about the next chapter God has planned for you. If you're single, we celebrate your strength, beauty, and individuality and join with you in praying for the desires of your heart. If you're a single mom and wonder if you have the physical energy and financial resources to raise and provide for your child or children, we want to help you, and we will. And if you're pregnant for the first time, we prayerfully anticipate with you the joyful birth of a healthy child. And to all the special women on this Mother's Day, rest and delight in knowing that we are thankful for you, and we celebrate each and every one of you. Oh yeah, you can definitely give a hand. So before Pastor Sharon comes with the word, we wanted to be very remiss of us if we did not take a few moments to acknowledge just the wonderful, incredible, special people that mothers are and to honor all the mothers who are here today. And so we've got a couple things today. As you go, Mom's Day, we've got a special gift for you. You probably also noticed you just came in. We've got a photo wall where you can take some photos with your families or your kids or even if you're not a mom and you just want to take photos today, you can use the photo wall too. There's lots of opportunities there. But we also want to pray over you and bless you today because we're sure we're, we're believing you're going to be celebrated today, spoiled today, taken care of today. But if we could just have all the moms stand up for just a moment. We just want to pray over you and bless you. So if just all the moms here want to stand and just across this place. Come on, can we give all the moms a hand today just on this special day? as we celebrate and we honor and we're thankful. And we're going to pray. Let's pray. And so I just want you to stretch your hand forward towards a mom who's near you. And by Father, we thank you so much today for every mother in this house. God, we pray blessing over them on this day to celebrate them, this day to remember them, this day to really honor them. 
And we just pray blessing over them in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for their sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for just all that they give, all that they do. We thank you for the prayers they pray. We thank you, even as we're talking about legacy, for the legacy that they are building even in the next generation. And Father, we pray that this will be a day where they are celebrated, where they are loved on, and where most importantly, they, they sense the love of the Father. And Lord, we also pray for moms who maybe there, there's some hard things happening today. And, and it's not all easy right now, or, or there's some just real things. And we pray that you'll be with them in a special, day to, a special way today. Put, put fresh faith and fresh encouragement in their heart. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to expand this prayer. And we just bless all the women here in Toronto City Church. God, that spiritual mothers, mothers-to-be, mothers, in so many ways, God, in what you're doing, we just pray massive blessing over each one. And we thank you, even as we receive the word today, God, you are just speaking to us in Jesus' name. So everyone agreed with me, said, amen. So moms, make sure you get your special gift when you leave. We'll have it for you at the door, so it won't be hard to miss. Get your photos. We're excited for that. But I am excited now to turn the floor over to my beautiful wife and the mother of our children who's going to be ministering the word this morning. So give a big hand for Pastor Sharon as she comes to minister. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, that's yours. Good morning. How are you this morning, church? Yeah, you're a little bit more lively than the 9 a.m. service, although there were many people in the 9 a.m. service. Well, it is my privilege to preach the Word of God this morning. Um, thank you so much for being here. I just felt I, there's so many things I've been feeling. Uh, I was actually away. Uh, Shiloh and I took a little girls and mommy trip to California in the sun, in the beach, and, you know, all these lovely things. We were posting pictures, and I was getting, you know, feedback from my husband and my son saying, it's not fair, and why are you doing that? Well, no, they are actually pretty good on it, except for one Instagram post. But I'm happy to be home, and uh, we fared well at Pearson International Airport. For those of you who have gone through Pearson in the latest days, it is a zoo uh, because of COVID and people regaining their stride in terms of travel. Um, this morning, I want to preach a message to you. It's actually not in my natural flow of preaching. It's more um, equipping in nature. And I felt like I've been carrying something for a while, um, particularly in this theme called Legacy but particularly for the next generation um, and what is coming and what the next generation will face and the bridging generations, which, you know, we are abiding in right now as um, adults, as, you know, most of us in here are adults. We have some younger, you know, I am a millennial. We have some millennials in here and then we have the coming generations. We have Gen Z and Alpha. And I really feel like there is a bit of an urgency on my message. It is not the typical Mother's Day message, um, but it is a message on legacy, and we're in that sermon series. And I, and I pray this morning uh, that you have ears to hear what God would say to you this morning. Um, and, and one of the things I just wanted to, uh, to say this to you, it's interesting, my husband and I, after I preached first service, I said, you know, how did it, because the Lord had instructed me on how it was going to be received. And... Um, um, he had reminded me of something that out of IHOP Kansas City, Mike Bickle and those folks had said that if you're wanting to kind of awaken the bride of Christ, the body of Christ to change, that they've got to grow in intimacy and urgency. And this morning, I feel like I'm carrying a message of intimacy, and I'll explain it as we go, and urgency, i.e. what is currently happening right now. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're about to be stirred up. All right, I want you to turn to somebody else and say, stir it up. 
So I'm going to hit you with some facts, some thoughts, um, as we dive into what I believe is um, we're in this era of change and an er- in an era where God is doing something miraculous. But first, I want to honor my mother-in-law, my mom. She was here for a service. I want to honor, honor my mother-in-law. It is Mother's Day. I love this woman. She has contributed to my union with this man over here. You know, she was praying when I didn't know, we didn't know, but she kind of prayed us into existence. And honestly, to be honest with you, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for my mom and my mother-in-law because of their contributions of faith, both women of faith, both giants in the faith, um, both giants in the word of God. And how many people know that we are in a time and a season with biblical illiteracy And we need men and women and fathers and mothers that carry biblical literacy to bring us back to the foundations of the gospel so that we can grow up and mature into Christian faith. And I just want to honor this lady right here for her contribution in my life in that way. Secondly, I want to honor my daughter. She asked me, begged me, and she found two. I'm not a big person on jokes, dad jokes. I don't really laugh at them. I don't think they're funny. However, my daughter is big on dad jokes, but she found some Mother's Day jokes that she wanted me to share with the congregation. So what I would need you to do is politely laugh, although I don't think they're funny. We're going to laugh at it just to satisfy the longing of the, my, my, uh, my daughter's heart's desire. So joke number one. Everybody say number one. This is a son talking to the mom. Son says, why is a computer so smart, mom? And the mom replies, it's because it listens to the motherboard. Yeah, I had the same response. Okay, joke number two. Why do mother kangaroos hate rainy days? Okay, why do mother kangaroos hate rainy days? Because the kids have to play inside. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My, mom, my mother-in-law's laughing. Yeah, I didn't think it was funny. But Shiloh, there are your jokes. We will move on to the message. So just, to, yeah, let's give Shiloh a hand. She's not here, but let's give her a hand. <laughs> So we're on this theme called legacy, and oh my goodness, everything about my life is about legacy. Um, I'm a daughter of a father and a mother who've left me a significant legacy. I'm born into a family line of preachers and ministers of the gospel, musicians, those that carry the message of the gospel globally. So legacy is a big thing for me. To just recap something that Pastor Brennan spoke about last week, he had four different points. I don't remember. I don't know if you were here. How many people were here last week, actually? Okay, a good amount of you were here. Um, His four points were, number one, that legacy is about having a heart for the kingdom. Number two, a heart for the local church. Number three, a heart for the next generation. And then then number four, revelation of eternity. And we have been given, all of us that are sucking air on planet Earth at this given moment, we've been given a unique, innovative, and joy-filled opportunity as sons and daughters to leave a significant mark on planet Earth. How many people would agree? We're in a time and season where God is looking for the mature sons and daughters to arise and leave a mark. I love what it says out of Galatians uh, 2 verse 20. It says this, my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. That thing is buried. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. Tell somebody next to you, I don't live for myself. Tell somebody else, I don't live for myself. For the anointed one, we live for the anointed one who lives his life through me. We live in union as one. 
My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much. Ooh, that's so good. Who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. So if you think about a juice dispenser, it's like he pours out his life into you so that as you live, you are not living for yourself, but you are living in union with Christ so that your life is no longer your own. That is our distinguishing mark as a believer. We don't grind out our life for ourselves. We live in light. We have a missions focus. It's like mission, missionology, the study of missions and the theology around that. We live for something greater than everybody else is living for. Do you agree with me? So your time-stamped appointment on planet Earth, however it started, however it's going right now, and however you envision the future to be for yourself has destiny marked on it. There is no, as a believer, you're not kind of just haphazardly living your life with no real focus. No, no, no. Your time allotted here, Pastor Brennan spoke about it last week. He called it the dash. Your little line of existence on this side of eternity has destiny on it. And everything that you do and how you live out your life will impact the coming inhabitants, inhabitants on planet earth. So whether we agree or not with that statement, it is so true. That how you live your life today will impact culture and your children and those that will inhabit the culture in the coming days. Now, Satan, one of his biggest tactics is that he wants to bring a divide among the generations. In fact, he wants to amplify perversion, sin, the wages of sin as the generations progress. And one of the ways he does that is he wants to split the union between one generation and another. He doesn't want the old and the young to walk hand in hand. He doesn't want fathers and sons to have and flourish in this kind of life, the life that God God has for us. So what is legacy? Let's go back to the definition that Pastor Brennan brought last week. It is something tangible that is built that is passed from one generation to another. It's anything handed down from the past, from an ancestor or predecessor. It can be called a gift. Often we look at that from the standpoint of property. We look uh, a will, you know what I mean? Like who's the house going to, who the, you know, the assets are going to. But legacy is so much more than that, so much more than that when we understand who we are in Christ. Psalm 145 says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. Therefore, what is designed is that one generation will tell another generation, come, let me tell you about the wonders of who God is. Come, let me show you a God that is great, that is awe-inspiring, that has the capacity to shift and, and, and mold and create something so significant that your jaw will drop. Now, how many people know um, someone that's influential in society? How many people know? You know, random people, right? We know a lot of different people are hitting the headlines these days. Um, if I think about legacy, I can think about one person in particular, several people in particular, that left significant legacy. Billy Graham, how many people know who he is? He walked the earth. He was a great evangelist. Um, his staff says that he, in his crusades, he probably saw 3.2 million people come to know Jesus. Right? Talk about legacy. Talk about when you left planet Earth, you fulfilled your dash, right? Everybody would agree. That man hit the dash and hit it well, right? 
If you look at someone like Reinhard Bonnke, who was an evangelist in uh, German guy, um, did a lot of work in, um, in, Af- in African nations. They say that about nine, or 79 million people came to know the Lord through his crusades. 79 million. How many people do we have in Canada? Do you even know? 30? Is that Esther? The teacher. Yes. 38 million, right? What nation has 79 million people? Like, think about, sometimes we have a d- difficulty conceptualizing those numbers. But God knows each and every one of them. And that guy came and he, for the sake of the kingdom, laid his life down and estimate 79 million souls. Let's think about somebody who is not, uh, maybe not a believer, I don't know. Elon Musk. This guy's making headlines all over the world right now. Why? Because he has the guts to live out his dash the way he wants to live out his dash. Anybody who goes up against Twitter and all Twitter's stuff has a, a little bit of like oomph, right? He is known for, this is what they say, he's known for the acceleration in the development of new technology. If they were going to classify his contribution to culture, is that he accelerated the development of new technology. This guy started out with PayPal, SpaceX, Twitter. I mean, this guy was like, you think you're going to get the best? And his beginnings were not all that glamorous. He actually had a Canadian mom, I think. Yay, Canada. Right? Wherever we, thank you. Wherever we can get it, Canada. But whether or not he's born again, the guy has lived out his dash. What are you going to do with your dash? That the coming generations will look and say, wow. And the reason why I ask this is because we are the believer. We have a distinctive reality about how we live. We've been empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to live differently than anybody else. And we've been empowered to do so. Not only do you have a call, you have the power to get it done. So if you are on planet earth right now, you are not only building for yourself because you are a believer, you are building for future generations. So my question to you is, can you have greater hope for the next generation than you have for yourself? Can you envision something in the generations to come that are different than what you could do for your own self? And if you say yes, then you've got to complete God's assigned task for you so that you can gift, gift the next generation with strength. Because the enemy wants to gift the next generation with all kinds of foolishness. It's like how my mom would say, just foolishness, right? The enemy wants to get in there. And it's because we live in an age that is growing darker and darker. But the light of God is shining brighter and brighter. So the question is, what level of brightness will you shine? Because here this morning, I'm here to stir you up to greater levels of intimacy with God and urgency regarding the brightness of your lamp. Because God is saying that he needs bright, shining lamps amidst the darkness that is coming. What does he give us to keep us strong and secure in these dark ages? He gives us Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Look at someone say, be strong. Look at somebody else say, be strong. Look at somebody else and say, you can be strong. Put on the whole armor of God, not only parts, but all, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This isn't about your enemy on Instagram. This isn't about your political view that is different than somebody else. This isn't about, oh, how you think differently. This is about, the Bible says that we wrestle against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. 
against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you can be able to withstand in the evil day. We are in an evil day. If you think you can stand on your own two feet with your own smartness, intelligence, and whatever, the Bible says he's made the wisdom of man to become like foolishness. That he has called us to stand in the armor of God so that we can withstand on the evil day. There are some evils that are coming in the subsequent generations that are going to make your mind like be like, well, I didn't even think this was possible. How do I know this? Because we are living now in some levels of perversion that back in 1999, we would have never thought that that would have been publicly public or public, published publicly, I'd say that way, right? There are things that people are saying that are right, that are gravely wrong, there are things that are, people are saying are truth that the Bible says are not truth. We are in a post-Christian, post-world where the principalities, and principalities is a fancy way of saying the scaffolding over our nation, the architecture in the demonic realm over our nation, um, that the nations that, that are over our nation, like let's say the nation of Canada, uh, that, that architect, that scaffolding, that uh, rages against God. It's like the enemy constructs, constructs this web over the nation of Canada that rages against the design of God. So what happens with that is that people buy into things that are not truth, that are outside the design of God. And that is happening over the nations right now. And we need to understand that. Because that's the evil strategy of the enemy. But in the middle of that, God says, be strong. So in a time where many of us are treading water to keep up, and we're just like, okay, I got to get on to the next thing. I got to make ends meet. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Da, 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 da. And we're trying to comfort ourselves. God is saying, be strong, but be aware because we are in a timeless season of change. So what are we in right now? Thank you for asking. What is happening right now? We're in transitionary times. Leaderships across the nation are changing. If you look at ministers in government, they're changing across the nations. We're in disruptive times. This generation has experienced more disruptions than ever before, right? Like how many kids have come out of school? There's never been eras where kids have been this much back and forth, back and forth, start school, stop school, go back to school. Deception and moral compromise is soaring right now. Like people are deceived. There's moral compromise. Inclusivity. Is, is the real thing right now, which is basically everything is mutually included and everything is mutually valid. Everything's mutually included, everything's included, everything's valid, which, which is actually is a lie. Or pluralism, pure, pluralism, sorry, tongue-tied, which is a smorgasbord of multiple options. It basically says all roads lead to God. All beliefs are invited to the table. But that's not what my Bible says. But that is part of the social and cultural construct that we're in right now. And when we understand those things, God says, look and discern, church, because this is what's going to be fed as normal to the generation that is coming. Absolutes are disappearing. Nothing, is ever, nothing anymore is right or wrong. It's just like how you feel about it, how you feel, how you feel. We're seeing a new emergence of the digital age. A new technology is soaring right now. Once again, we started with Web 1, which was information consumers, consumerism. Everybody, remember when we went to the internet for internet, for info, we went to, my brain is moving faster than my tongue. Remember when we went to the internet for information? It's like, how do I start a car? Google, how do I start a car? How do you, you know, what is happening 
in the nation of Russia, Google, you know, that was web one. Web two was when we published everything. We're in web two right now. Everything is about Instagram and community. This is what I'm doing at five o'clock. This is what's going on. Everyone's publishing their storylines. Web three, which is coming, is, the, is a, an emergence of creation. People are going to become the creators. This is the emergence of things like metaverse. We're seeing artificial intelligence. Um, we're seeing decentralized autonomous organizations, globalization. We're seeing things like um, blockchain, cryptocurrency. These are the things that are coming. Now, historically, I don't know if you are in this generation, but historically, I remember my mom used to say it back in the old days in Trinidad. She used to say, oh, when the TV showed up, everybody was like, it's the one-eyed demon, stay away. Everybody was running from it. Technology was the demonic force that was going to, the spirit of the Antichrist that was going to take over the world, right? And then now TV, everybody has a TV on their phone. We're like, oh, my mom's watching TV on an iPad. You know what I mean? Like, we're good. But now we have an emergence of new technology. Um, when you look at things like the metaverse, it's like you can live a different reality online than you can in the natural. People can commit crimes online. In fact, there was a story that said that they were creating, even in artificial intelligence, they were creating robots that would do certain things that did not have emotion. And as a result, they were foul, foul mouthed. And they had to reprogram them because there was no filter or grid for moral conduct. We're talking about an age that we're walking into. Why is this important? This is important because we are delivering a coming generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, into a reality that basically says there's really no accountability. I could be whoever I want, do whatever I want. You could be, I could be me sharing the female. I could be a male 10-year-old in the metaverse as my avatar. You can do whatever you want. But how many people know that that's not how God works? So the question is, or I should say this, that generations are shaped by the context which they emerge from. So if we have a generation that is steeped in this, they will emerge with all manners of different things that are distinctively different than what we are walking in right now. So what is our response to this? Because once again, the people of God, we could say, oh, run for the hills. In fact, I was talking to, I was in Budapest um, maybe like a month ago, I can't remember. And I was meeting with some next-gen leaders, next leaders from around the world, and we were talking about some of the coming changes with Web 3.0 and just like, okay, how is that going to change the face of discipleship? And the guys out of India, they were like, you know, it's really interesting. Their parent generation was saying to them, no to Instagram, no to social media. It's the wickedest thing ever. Like, it's going to send all our kids to hell, and it's awful, it's awful. Make no mistake, there's some awful things about it. But they said that they began to strategize with the coming technology, because India is one of the tech, I think it is the tech capital of the world, about how they could reach young people through technology. And they launched some platforms between, I think it was between 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. and like 2 o'clock in the morning to win souls. And they saw this massive harvest of souls of young people come in from a digital space give their life to the Lord. So they showed the data to their parents and their parents are like, okay, we like the technology, bring the Instagram, bring the social media. Because one generation was trying to understand another generation. So what does this mean for us as we exist right now? Many would say that our time and season is like Daniel 
uh, in the Babylonian captivity. Do we remember that? When Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, you know, um, Israel, they, they were pulled into Babylon. They were exiled. And many people say that we live in a type and season like that, that we are going to raise a generation that will be standing in a kind of modern-day version of Babylon. And what do we, how do we respond to that? Do we run for the suburbs and say, you know what, we just need to build a compound and hunker down until Jesus returns? I don't know. I'm not saying if you want to do that, go ahead and do that. I'll come and eat it off your land. Like, it'll be good, right? Um, but what, how should the people of God respond? And it's interesting, Pastor Brendan brought the message last week about King Hezekiah. Do you remember that guy who got sick, the Lord healed him, and then he had people come in to see all his wealth. One of the people that he had come in to see all his wealth was the son of one of the kings of Babylon. And they were, they were taking note, eh? They were like, oh, they got this, they got that, they got this, they got that. And years later, no, or Isaiah, who was a prophet that spoke in those days, said to King Hezekiah, you know, this is what, you shouldn't have done this, number one. This is what's coming in, your, in the future generations, that they're going to haul off your kids and all that you have to Babylon. And he was like, well, at least it won't be in my time. Let me just keep my peace and be good, right? Um, and it's interesting, when you look at the Babylonian captivity, you look at the Lord raised up Jeremiah as the prophet to speak to Israel at that time. And Jeremiah 29 gives us some instructions as to how we are to respond to the coming darkness. It says this, I'm going to actually jump down to verse, uh, I don't know where it is. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city which, to which I sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for the city. For in its, you will find, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what is the Lord saying to us, even as we are coming into the season of great darkness, where we are, we are um, building legacy to pass on to generation in the middle of the darkness when everybody's saying run for the hills build a combat jeremiah he says basically calm down increase and pray for the city so this morning i say to you we are in a calm down increase and pray season that the lord would have us arise with a new level of strength that we would multiply and it's interesting, we often quote verse 11 in Jeremiah 29. It goes down to say this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Those that were exiled into Babylon. He is saying that over us this morning. Calm down, calm down, increase, pray. For I know the plans I have for you, Toronto City Church. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he says, you will call upon me and I will answer you. That's what it says in that scripture. So our response is not to abandon, assimilate, or attack. It is to occupy and lead and empower a generation to be fruitfully present. To be, the, to be head and shoulders above, like Daniel and, and, his, and his friends. To be able to not be manipulated by a generation. So don't reject the technology. Stand in the middle of it and declare the kingdom. It is no different than the sons of Zadok and Ezekiel 
that were able to, in those times, discern between the holy and the profane. It is no different than the sons of Issachar who were able to read the heavens and understood the times. And when David was gathering an army at Hebron in the transferring of the kingdom of Saul to under his rule, they were able, the sons of Issachar were able to discern the times and tell them what they should do. And every generation has sons of Issachar that understand the times. Are you the sons of Issachar? Do you understand what is happening right now? And it's like Zadok, the sons of Zadok, they were able to separate the holy and the profane. And it says in that chapter in in, uh, Ezekiel 44, 15 to 23, and they instructed others in what they needed to do. So here are some signs. Let me just give you some quick things about um, Gen Z that are coming up. Um, They're the highest percentage of any generation to receive higher education. So they are students. They will sit in Ivy League schools, in universities, and they will be molded and shaped by a culture. Why do I say this? This is important because we got to get in there with them. A couple other things. Uh, This is teens globally. This is out of a global youth report that was released by One Hope. Over half teens globally, 52% of teens globally say they never read religious scriptures on their own. Teens who do not go to church report that they are open to attending if invited and say that Christians they know are kind and caring. Among Christian teens, 43% of teens surveyed as self-identified, surveyed were declared that they were self-identified Christians. But only 7% displayed the beliefs and habits of a committed Christian. 7%. 40%, this is Christians globally, of self-identified Christian teens say they never read the Bible. I'm going to give you that. 40% of self-identified, this was done in 2020. Okay? Whew. Teens who hold to the core beliefs of Christianity regularly engage with the Bible and have a habit of, pr- of prayer report and have have had a prayer report significantly lower rates of personal struggle. We're talking about a generation that needs God. That we are the agents of change for them. We are the platform to help them in this. They are also a generation that define love differently. It is the acceptance of someone's emotional persuasion at any given moment. Gen Z is like, however you feel about how you feel about whatever, we'll go with that. They have a wrong definition of freedom. Whatever we feel at any given moment, that doesn't, and that doesn't exist in the Bible. And there are times in Scripture when we see people doing whatever is right in their own eyes, and we see all kinds of craziness follow. They believe they can customize truth. They are less individualistic, and they believe in collective breakthrough. Teens are spending on average of 7 hours and 23 minutes online daily. Seven hours and 23 minutes. You want to know which country has the highest rate of online viewership? Actually, this report says most of it has come out of Latin America. I think Brazil was at the forefront of that. I think there were nine hours and something. So like King Hezekiah, we want to be present and actively engaged. If you are obsessed with peace and comfort in your generation, us... You will hand the world off to a generation that will get mowed down by the strategies of the enemy. 
because they are already, their wiring is already very different than us. But we want to be like Isaiah in, in Isaiah 8, 18. He said, me and the children that you have given, for, given me are for signs and wonders. We want to raise up a generation that has signs and wonders. Here's the prophetic sign of this. This is what the Lord said to me as I was studying some things, even in the news. He said, this thing of legacy is so at the forefront right now that even the war between Russia and the Ukraine is an issue of legacy. Putin is trying to secure his legacy. We as the believers, we need to secure our legacy. How do we do that? How do we lay in our generation a foundation like a trampoline so they jump on, they launch into another era, a foundation for the next generation? Number one, I'm going to give you a couple of tools. I could preach this message in like four different messages because I really want to talk about how to disciple them, but we're going to start with us because we need to start with us. Number one, you need to know God in a profoundly personal way way. Profound, personal way. That everyone kind of sighs and says, no, I get that. No, 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 you don't understand that. It, 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 we have a generation that is coming that will learn by what they see. They will catch things, not by you telling them, but how you live your life. That means we've got to become more than just biblically literate. We need to experience God in a deeply profound way. So that we can exemplify a life that carries the distinctives of our awe-inspiring God. And that way we can inspire others to do the same. If you live a boring Christian walk, and you're hoping that your children will come to church, Pastor Jair will teach them, and they will be on fire for Jesus and take over the world, live out their destiny, be great. We are deceived. They grow up with you. They watch how you know God. They watch how you share God. They watch how you talk about God. You can't pass on to the next generation something you have not experienced. Or you are no different than a university that passes on theory. You can study God at the University of Toronto. You can get a bachelor's of theology. Does that mean you actually know him and have experienced him? Right? Number two, we need to live and model obedience to God. Live and model We need to know what he says to do and do it, simply put. But half the time, a lot of us don't know how to hear God well. We don't know what we're supposed to do. So therefore, we don't live out what we're supposed to live. We don't know how to keep his statutes. And then, worst of all, we don't know how to pursue him into extraordinary breakthrough. So our life doesn't look that much different from the guy from Joe next door. But as a believer... Part of the mandate of a believer is to pursue God into extraordinary uh, breakthrough, which is freedom, which is life. That that requires risk. That requires you to say, I don't know it all, but I'm going to trust the one that does. And living a life of obedience is a life that always leads to other people. When you live for yourself, it's all about me. When you're immature, it's all about me. I think he said last week, it's like, I'm, it's like little kids. I was with my cousin Crystal in um, California, in Los Angeles, Pasadena area. And they have a two-year-old, Luciano, Luca. And everything in Luca's world is about Luca, you know. Luca wants his diaper changed when he does the thing in his diaper. Luca wants this now. Luca's whiny. Luca's complaining. Luca, Luca, Luca. So we revolve, okay, Luca's bedtime. Luca, that is what we call an immature child. That's fine because that's the stage that he's at. 
But when you grow up, it's not all about who you are and just all about who you are. You are a child of God. It is more than that. It is about knowing who you are, embracing the mandate of God to establish the kingdom. There's a quote from Bill Johnson that says this, if you live cautiously, everyone will call you wise, but you won't move mountains. Everyone's going to be like, oh, you're so wise. But when you move mountains, everybody stands back and say, I don't know what is on that girl, but I want a little bit of that. Because we're coming into a dark time where people are going to need and see the breakthrough that only God can give. Number three, simply this. So number one, know God profoundly. Number two, uh, you got to obey him. Number three, deal with yourself. Pursue self-awareness that helps you identify issues that need to be resolved. Deal with your generational issues. The constant dilemma of one generation to the next is the disregarded trauma from the generation before. Our children will inherit what we don't deal with, church. They will hurt with what we don't heal from. And the beautiful thing is God has laid up breakthrough, deliverance, and healing for us as part of our inheritance. We just need to be open to receive it. So we need to deal with ourselves because generate, thriving is generational. God wants you to thrive. We see that in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you can gift the next generation with something of strength. James Gall said this, without giving intentional, even aggressive attention to the healing of your soul, you will waste much time and effort pulling yourself out of the ditch of your journey of life. If you can attend to your soul's welfare, you can move out into the dimensions of sanctified thought, feelings, and emotions, and be responsive to the Holy Spirit rather than react to, every, react to everything through the filter of your unhealed soul. If your soul is unhealed, you will just, you'll be in a, in a, in a rabbit race of like reacting to things. I'm mad. I'm mad. They posted that on Facebook. They, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But one of the best things you can hand the next generation is a whole mother and father, is a whole individual. Number four, two more and I'm done, is we've got to understand and live out sonship. This is what the Lord told me. We've got to understand and live out sonship. Because the manifestation of true sonship is inheritance. You are true son when you, you're walking in and you've received an inheritance. Like the DNA, if you truly want to know who has the DNA of the house, let's say Toronto City Church, see who has the inheritance. See who's walking in what God has called them to because they've come under and they've come into sonship. It's the same with the kingdom. The Bible says in Romans 8, the mature children of God are those who are led by the Spirit, in one translation, who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. You didn't receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back to being, back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, unfolding you into the family of God. Yes. You will never feel orphaned as he rises up within us. Our spirit joined with him, seeing the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the spirit of God, Holy Spirit, makes his fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, hear this one, this is the inheritance, we qualify to share in all his treasure. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. We are heirs of God himself. Whew. 
And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that is his and all that he has. We inherit all that he is. Like David said, um, that you are my inheritance and the lines have fallen to me in in pleasant places. We inherit all that he is and all that he has. That should make us really excited. That should make us more excited than Elon Musk and all his adventures and conquering. That we inherit as true sons of God all that he is and all that he has. Woo, that's good. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as his own. Every son has to walk into maturity. How are you deemed mature? When you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why is this important as a foundation for the next generation? Because you need to know that you are adopted. Adoption is our inheritance. You need to know that you are loved. God wants to securely put you in that place. Because orphans tend to care about their own mission. In fact, orphans... Ones that do not know who they are and where they belong. They tend to rarely look to the future. Their vision extends no further than what makes them feel right immediately and what comforts their pain right now. So if you're an orphan, it's just like, oh, I, I, like, I don't know. I, I can't even think about five years down the road. I can't even really think about my kids' upbringing. You know, I, just, I just need this right now. I just need to drink this glass of wine right now. I just really need to watch this pornography right now because it just makes me feel better about the right here and the right now. Rather than coming into the place of mature sons where we're led by the Spirit, where he becomes, he fathers us, where he minds the gap in our own hearts. He tells us who we are. And he's awakening sons and daughters right now, even in our church. He's bringing us up into maturity so that we can grow and we can gift the next generation something substantially. And number five, I'm done. I'm going to wrap up. Is we need to build intentionally. We need to be intentional about, we need, you are a builder. Turn to somebody and say, you are a builder. If you are in the kingdom of God, you are a builder. The Bible says you are a co-laborer. I don't know if I want to build. I don't know what to do with a, with a knife. or No, it's not even a knife. A shovel. and Watch me. I don't even know. I don't even know. A hammer and a nail. I don't even know. Right? No. You are a builder. Proverbs 24 verse 3 says this. Wise people are builders. They build families. They build businesses and communities. And through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and endure. Hear that. They are established and they endure. Because of their skillful, skilled leadership. Woo, this is the body of Christ. Come on. The hearts of the people are filled with the treasures of wisdom and the pleasures of spiritual wealth. We are builders. Turn to somebody else and say, we are builders. The number one building project that God has for the household of faith is the family. One of the biggest things that you can hand to another generation that is coming after you've dealt with your issues, after you know God, you obey God, is to build healthy core relationships. He starts with the family. That's why we're always pressed upon and we're offended and all this thing. Because God is wanting us to learn the way of love. He's asking us to get those relationships right so people can know that there is a God who exists because of the love that is seen within husband and wife. 
how you love your wife, how you love your, how you honor your children, how you, you know, nowadays we're talking about family, friends that are family, how you interact with your core relationships. What are the necessary ingredients for healthy family? What are these things that, that get passed down, the traditions in a household, the values, the practices, the, the um, household brand? Like, what is it that is distinctive about your family in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, that can be gifted to another generation? Is it dysfunction? Is it arguments? Is it yelling, screaming? Um, no proper, oh, I thought of like how we used to know brought up C. No proper, um, what do you call it, proper manners? Like... There are all kinds of things that happen in the family because community is essential for healthy growth. How we learn to honor, that's something that is founded in the family, how you honor one another. Because there's a coming generation, the Bible says, you know, we're talking about the hearts of the father turning to the sons and sons of the father, but there's a generation that shakes its fist at the, the parents. You know, even in, in Ephesians 6, it talks about that. You know, honor children. If you want to be wise, listen to your parents. Honor your parents in the Lord. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. I mean, there is context in the Bible for the family and the building thereof. Proverbs 2 says this. So train your heart to listen when I speak and open your spirit wide to expand your discernment. Then pass it on to your sons and daughters. That happens in the family. So God starts with the family. I love that scripture that we are reading out of Psalm one. 100, I think it is, that says, for the Lord is goodness, steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. One of the things that I, I see even in that scripture where he's faithful generation to generation to generation, and faithfulness is one of his trademarks, is because he is wanting his children to be like him. He, as we look at the family, he is working a work of faithfulness in us. Husbands, be faithful to your wives. Wives, be faithful to your husbands. Be faithful to those that I put in your core relationship. Remain faithful. Faithful. Stay faithful. And then the last thing that I believe, like, in this building, and once again, I have a two-part, like, I had to stop. I was typing with the Lord because I wanted to jump right into how to disciple effectively, particularly as we look at Web3, as we look at the changes that are coming in the coming days. But the, but the Lord stopped me at this last point. So we're building families. That's one of the biggest building projects because everything, everything revolves around the family. Communities fall apart if there's not healthy families. Like, honestly, they do. But the Lord said in the second part of that verse in Proverbs to build businesses, build wealth. We as the believers have some ideas, our own ideologies about wealth, where you've got these people, Elon Musk acquiring Twitter for $44 billion dollars. And I'm just like, what now? And what people don't understand the significance of that is that he now holds in his hands a, a platform to mold and shape minds that he acquired for $44 billion. Where Christians, sometimes we have difficulty with wealth. But the Bible says wise people build businesses. And I believe the Lord is launching some of us into building strategies, enterprise strategies, for kingdom purposes. That's what I love with resilience and what they're doing. You know, they've got this great, you know, you know, with the sports model and everything that's going on there. But what they're building is not just so that people can come and get their fitness. They're building it. They have wise strategy. Because like Billy Graham 
or like Reinhard Bunky, they want to see people come to know Jesus. That's our mission. That's right missiology. Like we are in this to win for Christ. So when we build, and that's something, that's a part two or three or whatever, is that there is strategy that God is releasing for the construction of models and innovation, unlike things we have seen before. I actually heard the Lord say this to me one morning when I woke up. He said, I am going to make common um, something in the church that was once rare in a previous season. There are going to be things that people said, oh, we shouldn't do. We can't get, we can't slip into that. That God says, I need that established on planet earth. And if you don't do it, someone's going to do it. Because as revival breaks out, there is a simultaneous release of innovation in the earth. In fact, I heard someone say that just recently out of the States. That says, if you track revivals breaking out, you can see a surge at the same moment, moment of innovative technology and thought. So I would like it that Christians are at the forefront of that. I would. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. I'm going to close. And once again, this is not my typical message on Mother's Day. We're kind of not a typical message for me, period. But here we are. We're in a new era where God is awakening intimacy and he's awakening urgency. It is not okay for us to be dulled, eared, and to think, well, I don't have kids, or well, it, you know, I, like, I don't know what you're really talking about. It's not really applicable to me. No, it is applicable to all of us because we are sons and daughters. This is our mandate. This is our legacy. This is what has been passed on to us. This is what we're going to pass on to others. That the kingdom of God would be expanded. That the light of the gospel would shine brighter and brighter. One of the biggest churches that is blowing up right now is out of the Middle East, and it's run by women. Because women, they're the secret, secret agent in the Middle East. Nobody saw it coming, but they're leading churches, the underground churches there, and the closed nation. Out of India, my brother's saying that it is, they think within the next five years that India will become a closed nation because of the persecution to the church. But these guys are shining brightly. They are innovating under the guy, under the, the current so that the gospel will go forward. And it cannot be that in our nation, in the Western world, that we are so dull with our comforts that we don't understand that there is a dying world that needs Jesus. And God is waiting for you to come to the table and to construct something that leaves a legacy here on planet Earth. So let me pray for you as you close your eyes this morning, this afternoon. Father, I just thank you. God, I just thank you right now. I just, I thank you that we don't receive any level of condemnation, but God, we know who we are in you. And if we don't, God, remind us of who we are in you. We're a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. There is distinctives that you've placed on us for such a time as this. We have come into the season for such a time as this. God, may we respond to you with our yes. May we be like those in your scripture that volunteer in the day of your power. Father, I pray for those that feel hopeless this morning and are treading water. Come alongside them, fortify them this morning. Hope of the nations, hope of the nations, that's who you are. Bring strength, bring hope, bring clarity, bring vision so that we can move forward in strength. Spirit of the living God, blow upon your church this morning. 
Stir us up, awaken us. Bring us out of the slumber this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.